0: Welcome to Built To Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time we're going to talk about myths involving heating, staying warm in your van, because holy cow, there are a lot of myths out there and people are doing some things that just might be dangerous. We're also going to talk about jumpstarting your starter battery with your leisure battery a tale from the road involving a hot air balloon, and a product review of some IKEA bookcases that can do all kinds of things in your van. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It has been a heck of a week (laughs) since I last talked to you, I have had four COVID tests, one actual case of COVID, one positive test result, and three negative test results, and I am so done with all of this. I am done with it. All I can say is you don't want to get COVID. Do whatever you can to keep yourself safe. And uh, I am exhausted, exhausted from it all. That said, it is time. To give people more stickers. Folks, if you would like a hook waka bang sticker, that is a question mark greater than exclamation point sticker in the style of a Euro decal to display on your vehicle or your notebook or your forehead, heck, you can put it wherever you want. Just send me your mailing address if you live in the US and Canada and I will send it along to you. I would love to send these things overseas. I just can't <laughs> it's just too complex and too expensive but if you live in the u.s or canada which is also expensive but i have a soft place in my heart for canadians i will be happy to send them to you here's what you do send me an email at jeff at built to that's three t's not two no shoot that's two t's not three not one and i will send to you an official hook walk, a bang sticker No, I'm not collecting email addresses. This isn't some harvesting thing or anything like that. I just write the address on a letter and mail it off, and that's it. You will never hear from me again. I will never mail anything to your address, and I will never sell it or anything like that. That is not my thing. Another thing I have to announce is that I had planned on going to the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous this year. And, and that's a big trip for me. Quartzsite is really far away from Chicago. So I was gearing up for it. And then Omicron happened. And I am married to a doctor. My relationship with COVID and the pandemic is complicated. And I decided not to go. And then I got COVID anyway so i'm sorry i know some folks were hoping to meet me there and i was hoping to meet you too and i really want to do a van life gathering but now is not the time for me however if anyone hears about any van life gatherings in the future please let me know and i will make every effort to be there i have my sights set on van fest at this point but uh man it's a hard world to predict now getting past all that let's get into the meat of the episode let's talk about some myths about heating your van i'm a big proponent of using your van in cold weather and while it's true that a great many of full-time van lifers handle the winter by simply going south you can stay in your camper in some pretty extreme conditions and people have done it well below zero fahrenheit And it's doable, and it can even be comfortable. But there are a lot of myths out there, and I think a lot of the new folks who are just starting this are getting a lot of bad information, and I thought I would set the record straight on a few things. Obviously, these are just my opinions, and these are complex issues, and a lot of people have different opinions, but boy, if you think I'm wrong on any of the things I'm about to say, please let me know, because I would like to do research on that. So the first one, and this is a half-miss, but I thought I would jump right in with this. Diesel heaters are the best form of heat for your van. Well, you hear that all the time, and they are a very good form of heat for your van. They produce a dry heat, the exhaust is vented outside, which means that you can actually close all the windows and vents in your van and run your diesel heater without any problems. That's like the best you can hope for in heating your van. But, you know, they do have drawbacks, and it seems like we should talk about the drawbacks, too. They're difficult to install. There aren't that many instructions that come with them, so you have to watch 800 YouTube videos, and of those 800, 600 probably gotten something wrong. And they are noisy. They also draw a lot of power. If someone doesn't have a huge battery, well, a diesel heater is going to mean you have to buy a new battery. Plus, they run on diesel you're going to have to have another tank just to supply for your heater or you're going to have to run off of your main tank and if you run off your main tank the filler tube for the diesel heater has to be above the bottom of the tank because you don't want to run your tank dry but that means that if you're low on fuel it would be conceivable that you would run out of diesel in the night and freeze so that isn't great either plus installing one of those things you have to drop the tank so are they the best form of heat Again, they're really, really good, but man, you really have to consider everything that goes into having a diesel heater. I still like them. I'm still hoping to put one in my van maybe next year because this year's pretty much almost over as far as winter goes, I think. But uh, yeah, but know what you're getting into. You know, there are other ways to heat your van that can work for you that don't have the drawbacks of diesel heaters. (laughs) Of course, they all come with their own drawbacks and a myth about diesel heaters is that since they don't produce carbon monoxide, you don't need a carbon monoxide detector. Wrong. False. Absolutely incorrect. They vent externally. So they have an exhaust that goes outside the van, but that exhaust is full of things you don't want, including carbon monoxide. So yes, always have a carbon monoxide detector in your van, regardless of whatever kind of heat you have. You always want to have the carbon monoxide detector because it can literally save your life. Carbon monoxide will kill you and you won't even know it. One other thing about Chinese diesel heaters, make sure the exhaust sticks out the side of the van. Don't just stick it under the van, because then all that exhaust will stay under the van and could get into your van. And finally, make sure your exhaust isn't covered by snow. Okay, that's enough about Chinese diesel heaters. Again, I like them. Ah, flower pot candles. (laughs) Every year... People come up with this idea that you can light a candle in your van, or hey, maybe even a few candles, and put a flower pot over them, and somehow that's going to heat your van. I don't know where this idea comes from that somehow if you put a pot over a candle, it will give off more heat. It won't. If you can find a way for it to do that, you are going to get a Nobel Prize because you have introduced a whole new physics that nobody else is aware of. A flower pot will warm up under a candle and slowly disperse heat. That's true. But the amount of heat coming from a candle is so minuscule that it's really not going to heat your van up. Now, you can find videos of people doing this and saying, but it works. I've used it for years. It works. In all those cases, there's something else going on. And for the record, if you're in a well-insulated van, your body heat will warm up the inside of the van as well. And I think a lot of people will attribute that to the candles. Anyway, they're not safe. Open flames are bad in general. They produce soot and other substances that you don't want to breathe, including carbon monoxide. And they're not cheap because you go through a lot of candles doing this. I I don't know. To me, they are a complete waste, and that goes for the Crisco candles, too. I mean, if you're in an emergency situation, you have to do whatever you have to do, but these are the worst forms of heating, in my opinion, and you should just move on. There is no free lunch when it comes to heating your van this way. Another myth I hear all the time is that propane is too dangerous. I don't want propane in my van. Look, it's your personal choice. It's your van. If you want to do a propane-free system, I think that's absolutely fine. A lot of the big RV manufacturers have gone to all-electric all good. But there's a reason people use propane in their vans, and that's because it's a relatively inexpensive way to produce heat for cooking, heating hot water, if you're going to do a water heater, and heat. Oh, but propane can explode. Oh, yeah. I mean, right. Propane does have risks. The two basic risks from propane are that you have a leak and it explodes, or you have some other problem and you're producing gases that will hurt you. Now, there's two different basic kinds of propane heaters that you can get. There is the Truma style, the RV style, that exhausts to the outside of the van. Those are exactly the same concept as diesel heaters. They burn the propane, put the heat in the van, and put the exhaust outside the van. If you are not afraid of diesel heaters, you shouldn't be afraid of those. Of course, they take up a lot of space and they're expensive and all that. I get that. And then the other kind is the buddy heater, the Olympian wave heaters, uh, they're catalytic heaters. They don't technically burn the gas. They catalyze it, which produces a lot less gases. But all the gases that are produced do appear in the van. Big, big debates on whether this is safe or not. All I can tell you is I have used this now for a few years, I have a CO detector, it has never gone off, and basically what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, if you learn about propane and you take precautions, it can be used safely. All the ways to heat your van have risks, they're just different and need to be mitigated differently. This one I see a lot. Somebody buys their Jackery and then they go to Walgreens and pick up a 1500 watt heater and say, guys, I'm all set. I found this little electric heater that's going to heat my van and I'll just plug it into my Jackery and, well, it's either not going to work at all or it's going to work for five minutes. Electric heaters simply draw too much current for most battery systems. Now, if you've built out this massive battery system and you've got like 800 amp hours of battery, and then you've got some magic way to charge that in the winter, which I don't know what that would be, a generator, shore power, I don't know, then yeah, maybe electric heat could work. And if you do have shore power, just use that for the electric heat. In almost all cases, a space heater is not going to be your heating solution because electricity is very dear in the winter. But <laughs> another myth is that you can't use an electric blanket. Actually, I believe you can. There are 12-volt electric blankets that you can usually find at truck stops, and I'm sure you can get them on Amazon with everything. I'll even put a link in the show notes for you because I'm that kind of a guy. That can work. Now, these do draw a fair amount of power, but that is low enough that a modest system might be able to handle it. The thing about these is, is that they're smaller, than a normal blanket they it's you would need another blanket to use with this thing it's not going to cover your whole body and it doesn't produce that much heat it's certainly not like an electric blanket you have in your house this is just something to kind of take the chill off but used properly and maybe with other supplemental heating sources like the hot water bottle this can be a way to keep yourselves warm without using propane or diesel but it will use a bit of battery power so you have to worry about that Another thing I hear, and this makes sense for people who aren't familiar with van life, is that you should insulate the heck out of your van, insulate every last surface, and then close all the windows and doors and make this tight little space. Well, yeah, all right. Yes, that will keep any heat you make in the van, but depending on what kind of heat you have, you really want ventilation, You are going to be producing moisture in your van from cooking, from breathing, and from some kinds of heat. And you really want that moisture to get out. If you over-insulate your van, you are going to have all kinds of ancillary problems that are going to get in your way of doing other things. And an over-insulated van is not good in the summer when you will hopefully be out there using your van because the heat of the day will get absorbed by that insulation and then gradually released during the night, making it much warmer inside your van when you don't want it to be. Now, if you've got a an AC powered air conditioner and you're going to be using shore power, you can ignore everything I just said. It is my opinion that you should not over insulate unless you're only going to be camping in the winter and that you compensate for any leakages of heat from ventilation with more heat, because it's relatively easy to produce too much heat for the van to handle. And honestly, if you've got a Chinese diesel heater and you're roasting out your van, which a lot of people report they do, crack a window. Don't worry about it. Let that heat escape, because all the heat that escapes from the van is also going to carry moisture with it, and that is a good thing. Last, but certainly not least, I know a lot of folks will just leave their van running all night. I mean, what the heck? You've got a heater. It's built into the van. You just leave the van running and then it will heat up your van. I mean, why is this so complicated? Why aren't people doing this? Well, they're not doing it for a few reasons. One is that it's illegal in many places. I know in Chicago, the amount of time you can idle your van in Chicago is three minutes. (laughs) If you idle more than three minutes, you can get a ticket for that. Also, it's terrible for your engine. I've talked about this a lot, but these engines were not meant to idle. They were meant to drive at speed. And when you idle your engine, you are making it do a lot more work. And you're using up a lot of the oil life without a way to measure it suddenly that 10,000 miles between oil changes is really more like seven. And if you don't pay attention, you could be running on crappy oil. So folks, whatever you do to heat your van, make sure you take some time to research it, spend a lot of time looking at it. And if something seems easy and cheap, it's probably a myth. It's probably not going to work. But don't let any of that stop you from heading out in the winter in your van and having a wonderful time. Tech Talk: Can you jump start your starter battery with your leisure battery? Well, it's that time of year. My van currently will not start because the battery is dead. In fact, I, Sprinters have this weird auxiliary battery you can get, and it's supposed to be tied into the starter battery. I haven't really figured out how all that works, but I assume they are both dead right now. So after I get this podcast up, I'm going to go buy new batteries because that's fun. But if I were stuck on the side of the road... I could start my van, and this is how. You can use jumper cables, you can use any kind of wire you have. However, your wiring is done, we're, we're not going to talk about that right now, but you basically hook up your leisure battery to your starter battery. I mean, obviously, you knew that was going to happen, right? But you do it in such a way that you don't start the van for half an hour or so. Because what you're trying to do is charge up the dead battery so that it will start the van. You don't wanna start the van from your leisure battery. In fact, I would recommend that you connect the two, leave them connected for as long as possible, an hour if you can, that would be great, then disconnect them and then start the van. Because what you're doing is you're charging the dead battery. This is different from jump-starting, where you're taking a good starter battery and connecting it to a dead starter battery the good starter battery will then start the vehicle. You disconnect it and the alternator charges up the dead battery. That's not what we're doing here. We are charging that dead battery so that it can start the van And that's a safe way to do it so you don't damage your leisure batteries. Because, again, remember, leisure batteries have a different chemistry from starter batteries. Leisure batteries are meant to put out a good amount of current over a long period of time, whereas starter batteries are meant to put out all their current all at once. And that means they have different chemistries. And if you use them the other way, the way they're not designed for, you can damage them. So... Yes, you can do this. You can do it with a jackery even, if you have to. Just be sure to disconnect your leisure battery before you start the van. And heck, if you're in an emergency situation and you really need to get going, and it's okay if you damage your leisure battery, go ahead and start it with them connected. You are risking damaging your leisure battery, but in some cases that's preferable to being stuck on the side of the road and freezing to death, which sadly happened recently in Virginia. Tales from the road. Oh, so this was in Utah about 19... Uh, it was 1992, actually. I remember the year. It was 1992. I believe it was June... But I could be wrong about that. Anyway, let's say it was June of 1992. I was working the night shift at Little America Hotel and Towers, which is now a much bigger complex than it was then. So I was the night auditor. I was the guy who took all the receipts from the day and made sure they all made sense and ran reports and typed stuff on a spreadsheet and all that kind of stuff. That was my job. But I would get done at work maybe 7 or 8 in the morning. And a bunch of the guys I was friends with at the front desk said, hey, let's go bungee jumping. And uh, I was like, okay, I mean, what the heck? I haven't slept for hours. I'm kind of half asleep anyway. (laughs) Why not go bungee jumping? So we went someplace out west in Utah, and I'm sorry, I don't remember where this place was. It was like a fake little old west town somewhere west of, I think, West Valley City, but not quite Magna. I want to say it had the word Cedar in it, but it wasn't Cedar City. Honestly, I can't remember where this place was. Maybe some of you, you Utah folks will know what I'm talking about. And I really didn't know much about what we were doing. But as we drove out there, I could see this hot air balloon in the sky. And I watched as someone jumped out of the hot air balloon. which was just a little unexpected. And then I saw the worst imaginable thing, or the second worst. The guy jumping out of the balloon panicked, grabbed the bungee cord, and it whacked him in the face, and instantly, his face is this bloody mess, and then he kind of slid down the bungee cord, and I hear the guys in the balloon yelling and yelling, and they lower the balloon down so the guy can get off, and he's just a mess, and I'm thinking to myself, well, that looks like fun, and so that didn't dissuade us for some reason, I don't know why, I it probably should have but we go up to the desk and we say hey we want to do what that guy did and we fill out the long form that says you are going to die today sign here so it's okay and your family won't sue us and all that stuff and we did and we paid our money which wasn't cheap I think it was like 60 bucks and we waited our turn to go up in this balloon now, we watched a few people do it less bloodily, so we knew that was possible. And we also found out that there was somebody there with a camcorder taking VHS tapes of our jumps. So we'd have a record of it to say that we did it. Okay, so I watch somebody go, and I watch somebody go, and then it's my turn. And I get in the basket, and the guy yells at me. He says, No, 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 get out. I'm like, Uh oh, what did I do wrong? like, no, you stand there. And he points to this little wooden platform. It's like two two two-by-fours attached to the side of the basket. He says, you stand there. Like, oh, okay, they don't want me in the basket while we go up. And he attaches me to this bungee cord. Now, the balloon is going to go up 300 feet, and the bungee cord is maybe 100 feet long. So you can see that there's this nice distance there to act as a buffer between me and the ground. But then I start doing the math, and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm on the outside of this balloon holding on. I have a 100-foot cord attached to me that stretches. That means if I fall off between now and, say, 150 feet, I'm going to hit the ground. Somehow this wasn't a concern. Nobody seemed to be cognizant of this or even care about it. But at that point, I was 90 or 100 feet in the air already, and I thought, well, I'd just better concentrate on holding on. Okay, now, they had had problems with people, not wanting to jump once they got up there. I mean, it's it's a pretty view. You kind of wanted to look around, but they wanted you off as soon as possible so that they could go to the next person. So they did this counting thing. Three, two, one, jump! And I thought, all right, fine. This isn't going to bother me. I mean, this is going to feel like flying. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be one of the most fun things I've ever done. So I let go of the basket and turn around on that tiny little platform. And then... I realized that what I'm about to do is jump to my death. Now, I could do the math of the bungee cord and realize that all these other people jumped on the bungee cord and didn't die. But at that moment, I was convinced that if I jumped, I was going to die. So what do you do? Now, I did have the option of saying, nope, I'm not doing this, take me back down. But all my friends were there and these guys were there and I knew logically that I could do this. But emotionally, I had to jump to my death. That's what it felt like. And I did it. I jumped off. And from what people tell me, I did a perfect swan dive arc in the air and landed below the balloon and was like, oh, I did it. And then I realized I was on a bungee cord and it threw me back up in the air And I had to actually drop three times before I was done. And at that point, I was completely exhausted and done. And I waited for the balloon to slowly drop me down to the ground when I got off and disconnected the bungee cord. It was quite the experience. And then I went over and got my VHS tape so I could prove to people that I did this. And I went to my then-wife and told her all about this experience and what I did, and I popped the VCR tape in and pressed play and saw nothing but static. That's right. They forgot to hit record during my jump. And I'm okay with that, because I don't think I'm ever going to do it again, and if nobody believes me, that's their problem. Product review. Ikea... Look, Ikea... I know people have crazy opinions about IKEA, and obviously I'm kind of known as the IKEA van guy now from that one YouTube video that's got 203,000 views or something, and I'm okay with that. I like IKEA. I know they make cheap stuff. I know it doesn't hold up all that well, but I've had good luck with using it in vans because I understand how it works, and I know how to reinforce it, and I just bought An Ikea Kalix, that's K-A-L-L-A-X, bookcase for my ambulance. Now, these bookcases are very chunky. The way they're built is everything is overbuilt, so they're really, really strong. And I think they make a good base for a build in a van. So here's my idea for you buy a calyx it's 49.95 so if this idea doesn't work it's not going to kill you buy a calyx they come in brown and white and I, i don't think there's any other colors but you know that's what you got and sure you can paint them if you want and put it along the wall one side of your van and then you can do two things with it it can either be your counter and you can use its cubbies to mount your electrical or water or whatever Or it can just be space because they sell all these different things you can do in those cubbies. Like there are doors and drawers and baskets, and that's what I'm going to use in mine. I've got these fairly hefty baskets that act like drawers, but you can pull them out completely. And say you have like an outdoor cooking basket, you can just take it with you outside. It's very easy. Or, and this is what I'm going to try to do, and I'll I'll talk about this as I get through it. I'm going to use it as a base for a bed. My idea is that this one bookcase is going with a little help from some plywood and stuff is going to be the base for my bed, my finished bed. And that's going to give me two kinds of storage. I'm going to have the baskets on one side that will be outward facing into the aisle. Then I'll have whatever big open space is left on the other side, depending on how I mount it in the van. And I'm actually thinking about mounting it at an angle. At any rate, take a look at Kalex and see if it will solve any of your issues with your van. It's very, very strong. It's strong, it's fairly light, and it's fairly versatile, and I definitely think it's worth a look. A place to visit. Imagine if you loved airplanes and you could go sit in a control tower all day and watch not only commercial planes go by, but also F-35s and listen to the control tower and stay there as long as you want to your heart's content and you don't need a ticket or a pass and obviously this place actually exists or I wouldn't be telling you about this. This place exists in Burlington, Vermont at the Burlington Airport, which is BTV, oddly, And it's right in South Burlington. It's an interesting little airport because while it's grown over the years, when I lived in Vermont, it was in this little suburban neighborhood. And it was like house, house, airport, house, house. (laughs) And because they've grown, have a brand new control tower. And it's a normal, modern, huge control tower. And you may not go in there. But they didn't tear down the old control tower. So there is a control tower that is attached to the terminal, that you can go in anytime you want. And you basically you go upstairs and all the way to the right. You'll have to figure it out when you get there. But they call it the observation tower now. And you actually have to climb a ladder to get into this thing because it was never meant for public use. And when you get into the tower, it's just as you'd think. It's a big open area, and there are stools there, and a speaker, and you can hear the real control tower and watch all the planes take off and land, including the F-35s, because this airport is a combo airport. The Air National Guard is there. The 158th Fighter Wing is there. And also JetBlue and Delta and United and whatever other airlines are there. I actually haven't been keeping track, but it's kind of cool. And what I used to do is before flights, if I had an hour, an hour and a half before a flight, I'd go hang out up in there and watch my plane land so I could get on it. It's also a fun place to go to wait for somebody who's coming in on a plane because you can, like, wave at them, not that they would see you. Anyway, it's a kind of a fun, unique little spot And if you're in Burlington, Vermont, or in that area, and you're a a plane person, this is kind of really cool. So check it out. It's right at Burlington International Airport. You don't need my help with that. It's in Burlington. And there is surface parking there, so you can park your van without any trouble. And you can get to see planes really up close in a way that is hard to do anywhere else. Resource recommendation. Folks, I'm going to be up front with you. This is kind of an ad, so remember that I said that. For this podcast that you are listening to right now, I use Podbean. Podbean is a longtime podcast provider, and for a little bit more than 100 bucks a year or so, they let me publish as much audio as I want, and they give me the website that is built2go.com. And they're kind of a one-stop shop. Everything I need to do for my podcast, I do with Podbean. And while I use all kinds of equipment to produce the podcast, all I really need to do it is a smartphone. And so I can honestly say that if you're somebody who's thinking about making a podcast and willing to invest a little bit in that, Podbean is a perfectly cromulent solution. In fact, they're a really good solution. Also, their help has been great. You can just write a note saying, hey, I'm having a problem with this, and someone will get back to you right away. And they've been able to resolve every problem I've had very quickly, and honestly, there haven't been that many problems. So here's what I can offer to you. If you would like to try Podbean, and you'd like to try podcasting, which I really recommend for folks who need a creative outlet but don't want to go through all the trouble of YouTube, this is what you do. You visit www.podbean.com slash, in all capitals, B-T-G, built to go, BTG PB Podbean, or Peanut butter. That works too. Yes, I'll have a link in the show notes. And if you follow this link and sign up for an account, you will get one of the most valuable things when you're trying to promote your podcast, and that is advertising. They will give you up to $100 worth of advertising credit so that when people listen to podcasts, your ad can appear in that other person's podcast and for example if you did a van life podcast your ad might appear in my podcast saying hey if you like vans and you want to learn more about how to van life in the rockies or whatever your topic is check out this podcast that kind of a thing so if you are interested in creating a podcast go ahead and check it out podbean.com btgpb Feel free to contact me with any questions you have. And honestly, if you're somebody who's interested in starting a podcast, go ahead and write to me and I'll tell you everything I know about podcasting. I've been doing it for 10 years now. I have some idea of how it works. And while I'm not really big in monetizing it, I can talk a little bit about that too. So thanks for listening. It is a resource, but it's also an ad. So I'll just say it's both. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to episode 107. Wow, we've come a long way. Speaking of 107, I did not take my part 107 test last week because I had COVID. So we'll see how that goes in the future. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And until next time, and with my perspective of having a lot of folks dying in my life recently and COVID being an issue, this quote that I've seen my dad use really strikes home today. And that is, life runs out of tomorrows. Do what you want to do today.